Chris and Chris Talk Movies. All right. Hello again, everybody. What a pleasure to be here uh, on our podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and my co-host here. I'm Chris Huddleston. And today we are going to talk about the motion picture V for Vendetta. I wish I wasn't afraid all the time, but I am. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Those caught in violation of curfew will be prosecuted without leniency or exception. It's past curfew, you know. Gentlemen, I want this terrorist found, and I want him to understand what terror really means. We're working on several leads. Her parents were detained when she was 12. It was like those black bags erased them from the face of the earth. You have one chance. You must tell us the whereabouts of Codename V. If our own government was responsible for the deaths of a hundred thousand people, do you really want to know? <laughs> Those who are responsible will be held accountable. The time has come for you to live without fear. I'm ready. This country stands on the edge of oblivion. I want everyone to remember why they need us. Kill him. feeling that everything was connected. We're all part of it. Are we ready for it? The only verdict is vengeance. Okay, that was a little bit of a long trailer to just listen to. But uh, I feel like many of our audience will have seen this film. Do you want to give us a little synopsis in any case? Sure. Um, so based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore, V for Vendetta takes place in an alternate vision of Britain in which a corrupt and abusive totalitarian government has risen to complete power. During a threatening run-in with the secret police, an un unassuming young woman named Evie is rescued by a vigilante named V a caped figure, both articulate and skilled in combat. V embodies the principles of rebellion from an authoritarian state, donning a Guy Fox mask and leading a re revolution sparked by assassination and destruction. Evie becomes his unlikely ally, newly aware of the cruelty of her own society and her role in it. Say voila. Um, broad strokes overview. You know, what do you think? Go. I've always liked this movie. So I saw this when it uh, initially came out in the theater and really liked it at the time. Um, 
and I, I still think it holds up uh, well. You know, it's almost 15 years later. It came out in 2006. Um, there are some little nagging things that I noticed watching it this most recent time. I've, I've probably seen this a half a dozen times. Um, but this most recent time there, you know, there were some little things that I kind of noticed that I think can be critiqued, but, uh, overall, I think it's a good movie and, uh, you know, it's, it's time, it's maybe more timely now than when it originally came out. Um, I agree. I think it, I, I did not like it when I first saw it in the theaters. And I think that was for me, um, sort of hangover from the matrix. I think I yes. had expectations lingering from the matrix, which I, which blew me away as you know, it did many people at the time. And I think I was expecting something like that. And while you know, still the, 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 their signature, it still very, very much feels like their movie and their style. Um, you know, and it has Hugo weaving that, you know, so it's he's playing a very different character than he did as uh, Agent Smith. Um, but but I think at the time when it came out and when I saw it, there was a big stumbling block for me that I just never thought. I'm like, people in Britain or America would never let this come to pass. Like, this yeah. just is implausible. Oh, imagine a future. And I can't. I can't imagine a totalitarian future. And, of course, today um it really is sort of the totalitarian playbook and i don't we're certainly not there yet but it seems a lot less implausible now that we've seen our country ignore and uh, permit so many egregious changes in the fabric of our social understanding and it, it really seems a lot less possible. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it this time and wasn't held up by some of that stuff that I was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. There were, it, even though I've seen it several times, it had been a while since I'd seen it. And there were some things that I had forgotten about. So uh, this, the movie has kind of gotten back on people's radars a bit like, um, you know, in the past few years we've had, the book 1984, you know, I think has topped uh, uh, Amazon's, you know, has been number one bestselling book on Amazon. And you've had The Handmaid's Tale also that, you know, was a book that was written, what, in the 70s, maybe early 80s. And, you know, uh, the book became popular again. And also you have the TV show and all that because of, you know, themes that are somewhat relevant today. Um, but uh, with this, I've totally lost my train of thought now. <laughs> um, uh, well, I mean, I, I can jump in. Going with it. Yeah, yeah, I can jump in. I, it's interesting to me that these authors, you know, envisioning totalitarian, uh, totalitarianism um, in uh, Western democracies is not new, um, as you've just established. It is interesting to think of writers in the seventies and, and moving into the eighties uh, processing this vision because, you know, I think it has been a gradual erosion in my lifetime. I sort of start the clock at Nixon, although I think there's examples of it all the way back through history mm -hmm. um, until we get, 
our current president who just seems willing to run uh, and even unaware, <laughs> like that doesn't seem to be an agenda of his, except that his megalomania just says dictates whatever choices he's going to make. But what's what, what we go along with it or even if we despise it, we sort of allow it to happen and wait for somebody else to step in and and stop it. And meanwhile, it just gets worse and worse. And And I think, oh, that's this is how you would get there. Not that we'd all some somehow suddenly think that totalitarianism is a good idea, but rather it it's a process of erosion, right? Mm-hmm. Of the uh, of social mores and a dilution of the truth and um, uh, an erosion of the stop gap measure, you know, the, the, the things that would put the brakes on such a process gradually getting eaten away at. And um, for me, the darkest parts of this police state on the screen um didn't seem nearly as far-fetched um, nowadays, what with George Floyd and, and, and sort of shining a light on our current police force and the kind of, which is not to say that all police are bad people, but by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not saying that. But, right. but there has been a blind eye turned to what really has been going on all along and it, speaking of the matrix for me it, it feels like neo waking up from the tube he's in I, i'm just what did they, this is this real can this really be happening in america and my black friends of mine are like yeah welcome to the real world like this yeah. has been going on all along it's just not been making the news well, and I think that's a good analogy, Neo, because I think with, uh, you know, the things that have been happening over the last several months with the virus, so many people being quarantined and, you know, it just seems like one thing after another yeah. and people have had maybe more time to kind of process things and really look around. And it, and it does seem like there's, you know, there's an awakening to a degree among a lot of people, you know, look at how quickly the the defund the police thing has, you yeah. know, I mean, five years ago, 15 years ago when this movie came out, if people were talking about defund the police, do you think that would have gotten anywhere? And oh, now no. it's, you know, it's entered. Uh, there's obviously controversy about it, but it's entered mainstream. Uh, you know, CNN is talking about it and things. So it's not like just, fr- you know, some kind of fringe view. I remembered what I was uh what I was going to say, a couple of the things that I'd forgotten about this, I didn't realize that the movie takes place in 2020 and I'd completely forgotten about the virus in the movie. So when the movie takes place, the United States is no longer a country because we've been wiped out by this virus. Right. So, you know, that was just another thing that I had completely forgotten about. That was very, very timely. Yeah. And it's, it's not the, the center of the story. Yeah, it's just kind of um, a background thing. Yeah. Um, but it kind of allows that, you know, you kind of get this feeling that um, y- that maybe there's a vacuum now because the United States is essentially gone, that, you know, Britain is is one of the 
the remaining powers. But a, a question, something that I was thinking about watching this a lot and something that I've thought about over the last several years. With Trump in office, you know, you get the feeling Trump is so incompetent. You know, he has these, these totalitarian uh, inklings. You know, he loves these, you know, Putin and these other dictators around the world and seems to have disdain for our democratic allies. But you wonder if, you know, he's fortunately his incompetence maybe keeps some of the really bad stuff from happening. And also, you know, it, it could be argued that he doesn't really have core beliefs beyond just, you know, what benefits him personally. But we have seen the things with, you know, the Muslim ban and and those kind of things that, uh, and when you talk about the police, you know, Trump is openly, I mean, he said a couple of years ago, um, you know, that under him, uh, police, you know, it's not going to be this kinder, gentler police force. You know, he said, uh, and I think it was in one of his rallies, um, you know, when you're putting a bad guy in the car, you know, if you bump their head against the the door, or you kind of rough them up getting in the car. That's fine. He was speaking um, to the police. He yeah, was speaking he, to, and it was yeah. a, it wasn't a rally proper. It was, a that's right. Yeah. Speech in front of police. But do you think, and I have a, a bit of a theory about this, but I want to, I want to hear what you think, but is a true totalitarian, you know, a Nazi Germany style government. Do you think is it possible here? I mean, we definitely have stepped more in that direction than, than I think either of us or, or, you know, many people would think was ever possible. But what do you think about that? I don't know. I think it, it, you know, if it's possible somewhere, it's possible anywhere. Yeah. Um, I think what we've been seeing recently that has really frightened me is that things get out of control. I, I think my whole life I've felt very comfortable just assuming that smarter, better trained, uh, more knowledgeable people than I, people with integrity, have been keeping us all safe. And it's a collaborative effort, but there's nothing to worry about. America is great and, you know, and we're on the right track ultimately, although we argue about this or that. And we see with this pandemic, with economic things, with him and Putin, it's actually quite a, a rigorous effort um, to stay ahead of threats. I mean, for better or for worse, I, I know with international things and with war, I, I'm fairly left on that kind of thing. But the pandem mm -hmm. pandemic is a pr pretty good example of, of just not doing anything really lets lets everything out of Pandora's box, you know, the, 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 you identify it and you have to get on it really quickly. And that's the only way you can contain a thing like this. And when you don't do that, it just runs roughshod, you know, yeah. and people are dying uh, cases. Deaths are up at like half a million at this point. Anyway, you know, Let's bring it back to the movie because I could okay. talk about politics uh, all sure. night. And and uh, really, this is a movie podcast. But um, I thought, you know, they leavened it with humor uh, that I thought um, 
uh, occasionally worked like when when v goes on his uh eloquent monologues while he's flashing his blades around that felt very graphic novel to me and appropriate to the thing but for example when stephen fry goes off script and does a benny hill-esque you know comedy episode yeah. just before they kick in his door and he seems blithely certain that nothing bad will come of it i'm like are you watching the same movie <laughs> like they're gonna kick in your door of yeah. course they kick you know they kick in his door but i thought that sequence felt a little uh, untrue to the reality like he's clearly an intelligent guy does he really believe that he's gonna get away with this kind of flagrant mockery of the supreme leader mm -hmm. um the other thing is that you know most of the cast is British. Um, Natalie Portman, who is a terrific actor, and I really enjoy her work. Her accent bothered me a little bit. I thought it was distracting. I noticed that a little bit too. Yeah, I and mean, Hugo who, who doesn't love too? Uh, who I believe is Australian. Is that right? Right. I and think so. Yeah. His accent didn't bother me because he, but but it drifted around a little bit. You know, yeah. Like early in the movie. He was doing a sort of a na 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 na, na you know, and then later in the movie, he kind of dropped that or, you know, it was just I, I kept taking me out of the movie because a lot of the scenes are between those two. And the acting is great, but it kept tickling my ear in an uncomfortable way. Yeah, I I kept thinking watching it. I I, I like his his delivery in this movie so much. It just his he, he just has that great voice. Yeah. Um, and I and obviously, since it's you know, you never see his face. He's always uh, behind the mask. And so it's completely dependent on his voice. And I wonder with somebody else in the role, if it would work as well. And I also wonder if this were like you said, it's an American production. You know, the, the Wachowskis, they wrote it uh, and produced it but they did not direct it so the director was james mcteague who had worked with them on the matrix he was like a second unit director on those movies and i think he worked on the star wars pre prequels and things like that but it's a it's a british film from a cast standpoint and i wonder that was another thing that i was thinking watching this if this were an american film if all the actors were american would it work as well there's just something about all those British actors, particularly uh, Hugo Weaving with, you know, if that were, I don't know, uh, Harrison Ford delivering those lines as V, <laughs> would it have worked as well? And, I, and, you know, I love Harrison Ford and he's a great actor too, but you know what I mean? I do. I do. I, I have a great admiration for actors. Maybe we can do this on another episode where actors that wear a mask over half or all of their face for the entire performance. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's one or two times when we see Hugo weaving without that Guy Fox mask, uh, but he's wearing other he's wearing like a beard and glasses. And, you know, right. you never really get to see Hugo weaving's face. Yeah. Um, and yet it is a thrilling and compelling performance and that's that's remarkable <laughs> you think about it for sure and there's some inter interesting things with you know when you were talking in the beginning about not uh liking it uh, upon the first viewing some of the things that i'm a little bit critical of it is as you were saying they were coming off of the matrix and so there's definitely 
in the fight scenes, there's definitely a, a matrix style, you know, there's kind of that bullet time, slow motion sort of thing. Yeah. And on the one hand, it's exciting, but on the other hand, it seems dated now to me. Um, and another thing that I noticed, and this is kind of nitpicky, but there are quite a few times in this where it's very obvious that they're on sets. Um, like, uh, some of the scenes where they're up on rooftops, I was just noticing in the background, it, you, you can clearly tell that, that they're on a set. It looks, you know, and I, and I hadn't really noticed that, that before, but, uh, the production of this movie is interesting because you were, um, so like I said, this was coming off of the matrix films and it was right after, uh, the first two Spider-Man movies, the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. So this was kind of the first new resurgence of, of superhero movies after, you know, you had Superman in the seventies and eighties and you had the Batman movies in, in, uh, in the late eighties, but superhero movies were kind of dormant for a little while. And it was before the Marvel studios films. And I, it always struck me as strange, this movie getting made. Um, it didn't make, I, I think it probably lost money. Um, I think it only made like $125 million worldwide or something like mm -hmm. that. But I can just imagine studio executives saying like, you know, kids love the superhero movies and Hey, this has got to, you know, well, I'm sure some... after the matrix, those yeah. two, I'm sure after the Ma matrix, they'd have like, gotten do anything, whatever you want. Green anything green. Yeah. But it's, but I could just see executives saying like, Hey, th it's got a, a guy in a mask and a Cape kids are going to love it. You know, and it's this political movie about basically domestic terrorists, you know, fighting against and, and, I just remember being struck initially seeing this, you know, you're just what, like five or six years after nine 11 right. and right after nine 11, there were all kinds of movies that couldn't get made because oh, there's a plane crash scene in this, or there's this, you know, it's too violent or whatever. And right. here you have a movie that ends spoiler alert with, you know, they blow up the par parliament building. You know, I, I always just thought that was a little bit, uh, I'm sure they thought, oh, this is going to be this massive hit because it's a superhero movie and it's the Wachowskis and all that. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it was it, it's grown in stature since then. Um, it has like an 8.2 rating with over a, a million ratings on IMDb, you know, which that's a high. Uh, a high rating, but I, I just always thought that was a little interesting that. You know, this this probably got made just because it was a comic book and it was the people who made the Matrix involved with it. Yeah, it, you know. I really am glad that we revisited this because I've been watching a lot of older movies. Robocop, I think I mentioned that in one of the other episodes. Yeah. But I like to see the ways in which they get it right and the ways in which... Now, this is not purely if, you know, it's based on the comic book. So it isn't like the, the movie itself. I think of it as an adaptation rather than a fortune-telling, right? Yeah. The source material is kind of fortune... is a cautionary tale, fortune-telling thing. But... Um, the movie doesn't have the same feel to me in terms of being uh, a warning 
as much as it feels like a um it's like a lesson oh this is this is what could happen to you if you're not vigilant kind of thing whereas robocop is like you know if things continue the way that we're going now you know here's what i think can happen and then yeah. you then you get the story and and i i love those because they imagine out into the future um and, and so we've been revis revisiting these and i i think um one of the things that i really enjoyed this time around was having the um having the i said initially that i i you know, it distracted me a little bit because I had expectations of Hugo, Hugo Weaving and the Wachowskis and I wanted the Matrix all over again. But now that that's faded, some of that other stuff in the source material really comes to the fore. You mentioned the virus. Um, the idea of a frightened populace that yeah. doesn't like it, but doesn't dislike it enough. Well, they need somebody to stand up and coalesce around, right? They need a V figure to literally in this movie, tell them what to do. And it's a pretty low ask. It's show up here uh, a year from tonight and uh, we'll take it back. Basically meet me here. Um, and then that's all the instruction they need, but they're given a timeline and it's a date. And you know, then the movie happens in the intervening year and things get worse over that year and people are actually ready to put on the mask and take to the streets. And I think because we are actually seeing people taking to the streets now, um, that felt very powerful to me. You know, that felt very, I agree. Um, and I think that the, I think that the, I, I have to say, I haven't read the original graphic novel, but, it may have been a response specifically to uh, British politics at the time, but it still was a very specific, you know, uh, it wasn't a totalitarianism. It was still a democracy. Um, so it was positing a possible future. And I think that it has been proven correct. You know, we're not quite sure. there yet, but the fact that it feels totally plausible counts. Yeah, yeah. And I read the book. It's been a long time. And they there's a lot that they change in the movie. And and Alan Moore, uh, famously, uh, he he hates this movie. He hates all the adaptations of his uh, Watchmen and From Hell and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, all these uh, adaptations and asks for his name to not be, uh, you know, associated with the films. But one thing that struck me this time and you you touched on it and i don't think i noticed i don't remember noticing it as much in previous viewings is and i know this is in the book and it also is is pretty clear in the movie the 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 narrative is blaming the citizens as much as they're blaming the government yeah. basically in that you put these people in place and and that also is a good commentary for exactly what's happening now, because, you know, our current president got into power. He didn't it wasn't a coup. He didn't overthrow anybody. The people voted him in and there were enough people who said, 
eh, let's try something different. Let's try this guy, you know, um, or people didn't vote or whatever. And so we as citizens are to blame for a degree for what's happening right now. And that's very much what the movie is saying as well. And it's saying you have the power to change this, which I think that's, you know, a good analogy with, with what's happening in the film. Exactly. Like you said, I think in America, we're so complacent that we have to be pushed really far to do anything. And I think that's what's happened over the last six months or so you had the police brutality, uh, you know, George Floyd. And I think a lot of people after the protests and the police were doing more brutality, a lot of people who were probably very pro-police looked at that and said, oh, that's not, you know, this is a problem. Uh, and maybe we should do something about that. And I, and I think that's an interesting point that the, that the movie is making, that the, the power is within the citizens. You know, you don't have to go this direction. That, Which I, I don't uh, think I really picked up that on the, that as much in the past. Yes, that in that video, that George Floyd video. Have you watched it? Yeah, I have. It's um, it's difficult. It's difficult to see the cop doing that to him. It's difficult to see the other policemen not intervening, right? A lot, you yeah. know, sort of standing guard while it happens. And it's difficult to see the people filming it. And I'm not assigning blame on the bystanders, but there's a bunch of people standing around and watching it happen. And in the meantime, this guy is murdered. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's a snuff film. And you just think this cannot stand. I mean, it is, it's incredibly, it's horrifying. Um, and then you're absolutely right. You know, people were enraged and horrified um, at this latest, most flagrant instance of police brutality. And they took to the streets and they were brutalized by the police mm -hmm. on many, many, many separate occasions. I mean, the, the news has been full of these stories of people basically just peacefully. Sure, they're angry. Maybe they're yelling things but they're not carrying weapons. I mean, there were instances of looting, but that's not to say that every protest was a violent looting spree, right? right. And yet, the, and yet the, the picture seemed to emerge that the police were treating every protest as though it was a violent mob. Yeah. And that's just simply not the case. Uh, and you think, wow, something is... is uh, Something's deeply, deeply wrong uh, with the system. It's not just—it's not just a couple of bad apples. This is systemic here. So I think what one of the things that probably woke up, you know, Middle America was the video of the police in Buffalo shoving down the seventy-five-year-old man, where you know yeah. it cracks his head open, and. You know, it's hard for people to argue that, you know, that guy's by himself surrounded by 40 or 50 cops in riot gear. And I, that was one of the things that I, you know, it should have been Joy, George Floyd should have been enough. But I think you had a lot of just average white people who are very comfortable, 
who saw something like that and and thought, wow, you know, and and you just kept seeing videos like that over and over and over again, where it yeah. just seemed like they were overstepping their bounds. And um, but you know, and and what the movie says, and and also I think what Moore was trying to say with the original graphic novel is that we're not at a point where this can't be reversed. Right. Right. I mean, I think I thought of the term uh, police brutality as somewhat, um, I don't know that I had a specific picture of it in my mind. It always felt um, vague in a way. And these images and footage we've seen have made it so clear. It is brutality. And, and you see it in the movie. And I think when I originally viewed it, part of my naive mind rebelled against, come on, you're not going to have law enforcement people. It's like from Nazi movies where the, the Nazis are just sadists and they are, I mean, not that the Nazis weren't sadists. I'm not defending yeah. the Nazis. <laughs> right. But just that you'd, you know, you'd be terrified walking down the street because a couple of, uh, you know, Nazi soldiers were coming and, and you could expect them to be brutal, cruel and brutal to you. Um, you know, and I had grown up with World War II films, so I'm like, well, yeah, the Nazis were that way, but police aren't that way, you know? And I'm like, well, we're seeing that police can and are being that way yeah. in lots of different cities, in lots of different instances. I don't think that this defund stuff would move nearly as quickly without all of this no. nightly news evidence of it. You just go, man. And then you realize, well, what do you mean defund the police? I'm like, well, you know, it's like, 70% of the city budget. You're like, what? That's it's why New York city. It's like $6 billion. It's you know. insane. Yeah. And I mean, how did I not know about this? Like, have I been voting for this inadvertently all along? No, I think it's just been the way it always is. And they have, um, a kind of legal immunity cops. Yeah. That is absurd especially given what we're seeing, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Anyway, for we sure. haven't talked as much about the movie as we have talked about, but I think that the two conversations go very, uh, very hand in hand. And it, it has made this, this movie much, much, much more interesting. I think also, and I don't want to mention the Marvel universe in every single one we do, but especially in movies like this, it has set a new bar and in, in much the same way that I think that the Lord of the Rings trilogy set a new bar for fantasy yeah in terms of i don't know i enjoyed raimi's spider-man movies and i'm sure they're you know it's i enjoyed the original superman movies too but until the marvel decade of those films did you really see how possible it is to make a cohesive universe i mean if you'd have told me hey we're going to make a movie about the avengers forget a single superhero and like two or three villains we're going to make a movie about the avengers which is what five seven how many of them are there but there's so many leads mm -hmm. in that movie i mean forget the cgi and making all that plausible they make it feel like a cohesive universe like they just make it fly <laughs> literally yeah. uh and 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 i think 
you look back now, I look back now at every other comic book movie or even, you know, Watchmen. We could talk about Watchmen one day. Um, the graphic novel movies are a little bit different, though, because they I think they they tend to be a little more political at heart and they tend to be darker, at least the ones I've seen make it to the big screen. And I think they're yes, they're comic books, but. I don't know. Do you see where I'm? Do you, do you have a sense I do, of where yeah. I'm going with this? They're slightly different. They're they're same genre, maybe, but they're kind of a different category somehow. And and with this movie, I mean, this is a. I'm sure there's a whole lot of people that don't know that this was a comic. You know, it's right. it's, it's a bit more. It's not sci-fi with with laser beams, you know, and things like that. But but it's uh, it's a bit more sci-fi maybe than. Because again, it's this dystopian view of the future, whereas yeah. it is definitely that's not really stylized. Marvel movies, yeah, it's yeah. stylized though with the mask and the cape and the blades like, for sure. Yeah, and there's much more action in the film than there was in the book. You know, they they played that up a, a good bit. Um, but and you know, one thing that also with with watching this, I don't know how you feel, but during this quarantine time and the pandemic and all of that. I find myself kind of gravitating towards comfort food. So I'm watching, you know, just a lot of dumb, not totally turn your brain off kind of things, but, but more fun things like the Wraith that we watched a couple of weeks sure. ago. And, you know, there's been some things that I've thought, I don't want to watch that right now because I think that's just going to be too depressing. And even though this is about a a totalitarian government and there's a there's a plague in it and you know there's some really terrible things that happen, I don't think this is a movie that you watch it and you just feel totally depressed the whole time. You know? No, it's uh it is fun. There's some dark stuff in it for sure. Um I think Hugo Weaving is, you know, I, and I, I nitpicked on her accent, but um, Natalie Portman is a terrific actor. The camera loves her, and she's yeah. got such an expressive um, face, and she really hits all of her marks, and I think the chemistry between those two is very effective. Um, it, it stands up. I thoroughly enjoyed it watching it even though i will say that i i do think sequence to sequence it was a little uneven uh from time to time um i would say highly recommend go back have a look at this one um uh, <laughs> i'm sorry for all the political digressions <laughs> but i think i think they I, I don't, yeah and and it and this is a i mean this is a political movie i mean there's no it's right. it's it's different from a marvel uh film in that you know, you have, uh, they've worked politics into Marvel, uh, the, uh, what's the Captain America movie, the Winter Soldier, right? You know, that, that has some, uh, they're making some political commentary in it, um, about war and those types of things. But, but, you know, those are, are definitely more popcorn movies, but, but this is a, this is a movie meant to be political, which like, like I was saying before, it always struck me a bit funny that, you know, it, it came out at the time that it did and was a clear commentary on what was going on with the, the Bush administration at the time. Um, 
but but yeah so i i don't think you can i think the political discussion goes hand in hand with this especially with what's happening right now in our country i think considering that it's it's actually it, it feels it's relieving to watch a movie as dark as this gets sometimes because there's a positive ending and you do have of of an avenging angel you yes. know with that silky voice um who seems utterly indomitable and stands for all the things we want to prevail so i think it gives you a kind of a satisfying popcorn conclusion that we're all kind of hoping for <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure and you know it's funny that the uh the now you how long were you in england in school were you there for a year or six months or uh, six months so the you know the guy fox mask existed you know way prior to this and the people in england you know they have guy fox day and my understanding of that is that they really kind of celebrated that to almost make fun of him you know in the movie it's presented as that he was this great hero which i i could be wrong but i don't really think that's the view in england but after this movie came out the mask took on a life of its own basically and it has become a especially uh back during the occupy wall street time but you know it's continued on since then has has become this symbol of protest basically which is an interesting you know almost beyond the movie itself you know there are people who recognize that mask who have probably never seen this movie right so i think that's kind of an, an interesting cultural impact that it's had. I agree. I think we ought to call it. I think we're at time. Okay. Um, always enjoy it. Looking forward to next time. Let's, uh, after we stop recording, let's talk a little bit about what wonderful film we are going to discuss on our next uh, podcast. And to all of our wonderful listeners out there, uh, tune in next time. And uh, I'm Chris. And I'm Chris. Thank you, everybody. Bye.